Being the big vinyl lover that I am, I'm proud to tell you about Joe's albums in their two locations. The original shop at 317 Main Street in downtown Worcester, Massachusetts, and their second location out in Western Mass at 5 Market Street, Northampton. Both of these shops are loaded with both new and used vinyl. It's hard to walk in either shop and walk out empty-handed due to their amazing collection of records and other cool goodies like t-shirts, mugs, posters, etc. If you can't find what you're looking for in the retail stores, check out their website, joesalbums.com. Thank you, Joe, for being so cool. Baby Loves Tacos proudly supports the Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico podcast. Since 2016, we've been serving soulful whole Mexican-style food out of a tiny storefront 4508 Liberty Avenue in the Bloomfield section of Pittsburgh. Um, we believe in supporting the arts, community-based initiatives, and podcasts like Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico because uh, they add a richness and vibrancy to our lives, uh, help to connect people, build community, and uh, demonstrate that following your, your dreams and your passions and holding on to relationships and spreading the love and support that we hear so much about on the podcast uh, is, is really the only way to combat um, the ever-changing world where big businesses and corporations are uh, squeezing out the small guy. So if you haven't already subscribed, if you don't support via Patreon, um, or any of the other platforms, I would strongly encourage you to do so. It's a real privilege to listen to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico, and it's a privilege to, to hear the stories about um, you know, Steve's experiences with many bands, uh, promoting, managing, and the really awesome stories from his guests. Something I look forward to every week, sometimes twice a week, and, um, you know, my life would be very different if I didn't have Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico to look forward to. All right, take care. Attention guitar players, I know you're out there. I have some exciting news for you. You ready? Put down that six string and listen. Stomp underfoot are handmade guitar pedals by fuzz-obsessed Matt Pascarella. Matt makes every pedal using quality, new, old stock, absolute, and rare through whole components. I know you know what that means if you're a, you're a guitar player, right? Every pedal is also entirely hand-wired, tested, and ready to go. If you want high-quality handmade pedals, check out Stomp Underfoot at stomponderfoot.com.
Well, hello there, my rock and roll friends. Welcome to Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. We got you started today with a great new tune by Survival Guide. That one's called Lady Neptune. It's from the album Death Dreams, just released a few weeks ago. It's the fourth full-length album from Survival Guide, which, if you don't know by now, is the solo project of Emily Whitehurst, who some of you may remember as Agent M of the fantastic California pop punk band Tsunami Bomb, and also Emily's project that followed. Followed Tsunami Bomb, the action design. We had a nice talk with Emily, and we're going to play that for you shortly. So hang on to yourself, and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back. Uh, it has taken a long time, probably too long, definitely too long, for women to get the recognition they deserve from under the rock and roll umbrella. And now that they have taken control of the rock and roll stage, we can only say this, it's about time. Let's take a look at some of the women that have paved the way for Taylor Swift and Olivia Rodrigo and Beyonce and Pink. Sister Rosetta Sharp has been called the godmother of rock and roll and rightfully so as she was the first really back in the 30s and 40s wanda jackson proved to elvis and the boys that she was the queen of rockabilly in the 50s and is still an inspiration today after that we're looking at the shirelles and the ronettes who led the girl group charge of the 60s tina turner aretha franklin janice joplin what did they do they brought the soul and the rock together and tied it in a nice little bow in the late 60s then in the 70s carol king joni mitchell and carly simon proved that there was also a place for the singer songwriter to get their due the average music fan has not even ever heard of the band Fanny, but they were one of the first all-female rock bands who were around from 1969 to 1975, and they fell far below the radar, but they made their mark, and now people find, are finding out about them took them a while. Uh, then we have the mainstream rock of heart, and of course, Fleetwood Mac, and before long, Pat Benatar. In the mid-70s, the great Patti Smith showed us that women deserve their due in the mostly dominated, mostly male-dominated early days of punk. And of course, Debbie Harry and Blondie followed suit. The Runaways were born, but were not appreciated for how great they were. Joan Jett and Lita Ford have done pretty much to prove so now. It took a little while for them to get the recognition. That's what this is all about. Women getting their recognition and taking their place. Chrissy Hine and the Pretenders, the Go-Go's, Eurythmics, B-52s. They brought the new wave in the late 70s, early 80s. And what about the Bengals? They did their part during the MTV generation as well. Boston's own Donna Summer became the queen of disco. And then there was the woman from Bay City, Michigan, who took the moniker of Madonna and soared with it. And let's not forget Janet. Need I say Janet Jackson. In the 90s, Alanis Morissette, Sinead O'Connor, Melissa Etheridge, Cheryl Crow, they all hit the mainstream. And guess what? They sold tons of records. Then one of my favorite periods happened when a flurry of more indie rock, punk, alt rockers put women on a bigger map. Artists like Belly, Hole, Veruca Salt, The Breeders, L7, Throwing Muses, PJ Harvey, that's right, Polly Jean, Liz Fair, Julian Hatfield, they all came along and in their own way entertained and influenced a generation of women to follow and they took it even further. Now, here we are. Whew, let me catch my breath. Now, here we are a few years later in a world dominated by Taylor Swift, <laughs> the undisputed queen of pop. And we have Olivia Rodrigo and Lady Gaga and Shakira and Beyonce. It's a long, long list. I know I may have not mentioned every woman that has played a key role in where we are today. Women were held down for far too long in an industry dominated and run by men. It's a new world now, but we have, we still have a ways to go here with it. And we're hoping that there's a way that women can go even farther. Cause check this out. Only 65 women have been included in the rock and roll hall of fame. You know what that percentage comes out to? 8%. It's 
hard to believe, 8%. Stevie Nicks, Carol King, and Tina Turner have been inducted twice. That lowers the percentage. The Supremes were the first in 1998. Excuse me, 1988. We still got a ways to go, not just in music, but in general. It's time to let the women lead the way and run the show. Rock and roll, rock and roll. Figured I would treat you with a track from one of Emily's, uh, Emily Whitehurst's previous bands. That was the action design with the song Landmines. Oh, love that song. Should have been huge, man. I was extremely excited when I got the word that Emily was coming on the show. She was the singer of one of the really cool punk leaning, early punk leaning bands to emerge from that like second wave of North. Uh, Northern California punk, you know, in the late 90s, Tsunami Bomb, who made their way by touring their asses off, not only as a staple of the Warp Tour, but they headlined clubs all over America. Unfortunately, the band disbanded in 2005. There is a new version of the band out now that's recording and touring, but Emily's not part of that version, so I don't want you to be confused about that. When the original Tsunami Bomb broke up, Emily formed the Action Design song we just played great band that never never really got their due and that song you know landmines it's further proof of it um around 2010 survival guide was born and eventually it became emily's solo project and with this new album death dreams emily has cemented her place in the synth pop world uh we had a nice talk a few weeks ago and i'm going to play it for you right now so please enjoy. So, hi. Hi. <laughs> I just want to say Agent M so early. I didn't want to say it this early, but I couldn't. Oh, no, it's fine. Because I'm a fan. <laughs> I'm an Agent M fan, you know. 
So, so um, you're living in Texas now? Yes. Yes. I'm in San Antonio. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Cause I've had two other musicians on that move to tech to San Antonio as well. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Tommy Price, the drummer of Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, moved down there from oh, New wow. York. <laughs> and I was like, from New York to San Antonio. I've been to San Antonio. It's a cool place, you know? You like yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty hot compared to California, but um, but it's uh it's pretty great otherwise. <laughs> but you're from Central California, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you away. I want to talk about death dreams because I spent a lot of time with I love it. And I just want to go back a little bit and go over some of your history if you don't mind i lived in la for a long time and i you know been to san francisco but i don't know much about central california what was it it like growing up there uh i did not like growing up there um it there was not enough happening for me there uh being in a small town um surrounded by just fields you know i mean if you've driven across California you've seen you know I mean it it now that I am older I when I go back to visit I feel like it's really pretty but as a kid I was just like there's nothing happening here there's no shows there's no venues there's I had to work really hard to find um you know bands to listen to and did so much research and never never they you know were they coming even close to my town uh to play shows so um so were you anywhere near the 101 or the five freeway or is it further away? I, yeah, from... I was, I was kind of uh, near the five. Okay. Near because the five, that's the so road no. that goes all the way up through California. Yeah. Yeah. For people that don't know. <laughs> yeah. So it, well, I mean, I was able to, to, I, I would have to drive about two hours to get to San Francisco. Oh, um, if I wanted to go to a show or, um, which as a teen was maybe a lot. I guess. <laughs> now you did grow up in kind of a musical family, so that must have been pretty cool. You had a couple of brothers that both played, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it wasn't really until they were in high school that they started playing, and um, that was also around the time that I first heard Green Day and just got really obsessed with them, and um, and decided that I wanted to also do music. And uh, I saw that, you know, my brothers had been doing it for not too long, like six months or something. And, um, and I was just like, I can do that too. Like if they, if they can do it, I can do it. And um, so I, I set up a band and, and had a band in high school to a pop punk band. Really? What was, Green Day inspired. <laughs> what was your high school band? It was called Generic Asphalt. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't know why. <laughs> I was gonna ask you about Green Day because you've said in a lot of interviews that you really started singing when you heard Green Day. Yeah. Um so Billy Joe was a big influence on you. Oh yeah, for sure. I just when I heard them, I just felt like very inspired to do something that was um that was related to punk rock. And, um, I think, you know, also being from a small town, it wasn't until a a huge band like Green Day came along that I heard punk rock at all. So there was no, there was nothing before that. There was just like regular mainstream radio, which obviously Green Day was on mainstream radio too, but there was nothing like Green Day until, until they came along for me. Was there a big venue there that you could go to to see bands like that? No. No, I ended up going to see them play um, in Oakland, but I had to, yeah. I had, you know, I had to travel to go see them. Yeah, they they started kind of in Berkeley, right? Yeah, Berkeley area. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, were you in a band? I thought I heard that you were in a band with your brothers for a little while too. No, I. Um, uh, you mean like way back then? Yeah, way, when you were in high school. Um, no, they had their band first, and then when they're so one brother left for college and then there was still a remaining band my other brother and uh he let's see how do I explain um 
Sorry, I'm like you, just trying to get my coffee in. <laughs> you don't even need. You don't even need to explain it. It's okay. I, to, I time up. It. Time's up. <laughs> it's um, fine. I think uh, I also. I, heard, go ahead. I kind of took over. I kind of took over the remainder of like some pieces of my brother's band oh. to make my band. Is kind of what happened. Like some people went to college. Some people did this or that. And I, I was like, well, if you're not gonna play, like let's. I'm here still. I'm younger. You know, I'm still in town. So let's let's uh, let's put this back together. And also maybe what you had seen was the first time I sang in public was that they had called me up on stage. I would I would practice. I would okay. go to their practices because I was so excited about live music. Um, and sometimes I would I would convince them to let me, you know, to learn a song that I could sing just at practice, just for fun. And I would just bug them to do that. And so every so often they would. And then one of their shows, they just it randomly called me just like, oh, our sister is going to come do a song now. And I had no idea until that moment that I was about to sing in front of a crowd at the at the Mother's Day Fair. <laughs> you, you followed one of your brothers to the same college town, right? Eventually? I did. Yes. 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 And My brother Logan. Yeah. Yeah, and that's when you really got into you had more bands too when you went to college. Yeah. Yeah. I I started um a band called Plinky when I went Plinky. up there. And yeah. um and yeah, it was great because he was a couple years older than me. So he um and he was playing drums and you know was was pretty established in the music scene there. So I moved up there and and was instantly like introduced to all the people making music and it was great is that when you met the guys from tsunami bomb yeah so we we played um we played some shows together uh plinky and tsunami bomb and we were just kind of all in the same scene and then uh their singer moved away and uh and they asked me if I would if I would sing in the band. So there was kind of some overlap where I was in both bands oh, for a little while. Okay. And there was a we actually did a split seven inch together, uh, Plinky and Tsunami Bomb. That's but right. I was, you did. I was on both sides. Like um, I was in both bands at the time. So that's cool. Were you yeah. writing by that? Were you already writing by then? Yeah. Yeah. I I, uh, I mean, even in the first band in Generic Asphalt, I had original songs piano or were you writing on piano or guitar or at that um, point I was writing on bass at that oh. point because I played bass in that band and so in Plinky I also played bass and sang so did songwriting come easy to you uh no because <laughs> you've written so many songs since then it's a long yeah list. I mean, it's <laughs> uh it, it I I fell into a, a pattern, I guess, of um, of when working with, with other musicians in the band. Uh, my main job was, you know, I was always the vocalist. I've always been the vocalist. So uh, my main job is, is lyrics and melodies. And, um, and I've always covered that, but it's not ever been really fast for me. I don't have, I need to like force myself to sit down and write a song. I wish I were the kind of artist that just has songs, you know, spilling out everywhere, but I'm not. I was going to ask you if you wrote more out of force or emotion, but I have a feeling that you're going to tell me that later on you started writing out of emotion because I think the re the new stuff, but we'll get to that. Okay. Um, <laughs> um this is something I want, I've wondered about since, I don't know, maybe 99 or something. Where did you ever come up with the moniker or the name Agent M? I mean, where is that from? Because that is something I have not been able to find out. <laughs> well, uh, it was, so it was um, inspired by a Halloween costume that I wore where I was, um, we were playing a show. It was very early on. Um and uh, we were playing a show and I dressed as a spy. Like that was my, my Halloween costume. And uh, everyone in the band had a stage name, pretty much. Almost everyone had a, had a stage name. So um, it you just came from one. that with, yeah, from, and with my name being, being Emily, it was like a, you know, Agent M as the letter M was like a code name 
um, that just it was fun and turned out to be turned out to be great. And people probably still talk talk call you Asian M still to this yeah. day. Right? <laughs> yeah, figured they would. Um, Tsunami Bomb had a really nice run, mainly from like ninety nine to two thousand four. A lot of great tours, great songs. I think Take the Reins was the one that really got you guys going around two thousand two. Uh, the Ultimate Escape, is that the album that was on? Yeah. Yeah, that really took off. Can you talk about the band and the buzz that was generated? Like, and how was it from touring mostly? Is that how you guys really started catching on? I think so, because um, it it, it kind of snowballed. Um, we worked really hard with playing shows all over the state, like pretty much as far as we could, um, as we could get out uh, when we first started playing. Um, we would do like long weekends all the time and that got us, I can't remember whether it was a booking agent first or, or some small labels because we had the first, um, we had our split seven inch and then we did a seven inch with, um, checkmate records, which is Hunter from AFI's record label. So we had a seven inch there. And then we did an EP on Tomato Head, which was um, Chuck from uh, Skanking Pickle. That was his record label. And somewhere in there, we also got a booking agent and um, and started playing more and and touring more and, you know, going out more. We, we I don't he didn't book our, our first actual tours like we did a couple of tours um, booking them ourselves. And then um, and then we got um, some management and then we got signed to Kung Fu. So it kind of was all like, everything was all happening um, in stages and building on, you know, each each action built on the the previous one. So, um, and, and I feel like we were really fortunate um, that everything sort of unfolded the way it did. But yeah, I think- uh, You guys to, toured a lot. Yeah, I think that touring was a really big part of it was we just kept going out and playing shows everywhere we could you seem to be getting on the right tours too i think bouncing souls and you know the warp tours of course and yeah there's so many bands that you played with i was looking at your history of touring for that band this morning and it's mind-blowing in between like 2000 and 2004 there's so many tours and you yeah. guys were really busy uh you recorded the definitive act i remember that because you recorded it in cambridge i'm in the boston area what made you guys come up here to record a record? Do you remember how that happened? I was just curious about that. Yeah, we wanted to record with Mike Porman, who um, was the drummer of Hot Rod Circuit. Um, he was working at the um, Camp, Camp Street. Street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was he was working out of that studio, which is a really awesome, you know, renowned studio, and um, he was a friend of ours. We kind of wanted to switch it up because the first record we recorded in in L.A. and it was a very like L.A. experience and um, it was very like high pressure kind of. And um, so for the second record, we decided, you know what, we want to record with a friend um, and and enjoy it and, you know, see what we can do with that style of recording. So um, so that's what we did. And we we stayed there. We were there for. I want to say, I can't remember how many weeks, maybe five weeks we were there or. I was living in that area at that time. And I remember that because you guys were going out and stuff. So people would, you know, you knew people around town, obviously, because you guys played the Axis. I remember you played a big show at Axis and you played the Warp Tour here and, you know, you you went through it a lot. So definitely remember. I just figured I'd ask that. Um, the band, you know, disbanded not, you know, a few little while after that. And the action design came along and it's like you didn't miss a beat. It was a lot of great material, two EPs, an album, a single. You went back on the warp tour. It was that wasn't a very difficult transition going from tsunami bomb to the action design, was it? Uh creatively, no. Um uh, as far as like behind the scenes, it was a little bit difficult because then we didn't have, you know, we didn't have our booking agent or management or any of that stuff anymore. So we kind of had to, had to build from the ground up and, um, 
and gradually started making our way back to that place of being able to being able to tour, um, you know, get some good tours. But uh, about the time that that happened, uh, one of our guys decided that he wasn't really into touring. So it kind of it kind of fell apart at that. point. That's not good. No, <laughs> I do remember the song Landmines. That was really, really great song from that era. Good video, too. Um, you said in an interview that one of the things that you learned from these previous projects, that it was really important to you to surround yourself with the right people, which now is you. Is that, <laughs> yeah. is that why you decided to strip everything down? I know Survival Guide started as a as a two-piece, but can you talk about what you meant by that? I mean, did you just get tired of everything with all these? Because you were on so many labels and tours and personnel changes and all of that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can't remember when when I had said that about surrounding yourself with the right people, but um, it definitely was part of the reason that Tsunami Bomb broke up was, was just everything was kind of um, it, all of those areas, the management, the label, like uh, the booking, everything was kind of like on shaky ground uh, for, for various reasons across the board. And even within the band, it was like, we had one guy who, uh, who uh, similar thing, he was like going to leave for another band and he was a really core member for me and so that was falling apart for me um so uh yeah I feel like it's really important to <laughs> I mean there's kind of no way to to predict if you're if you're gonna get into a business relationship you don't know what's gonna happen down the line you know like you, you can't really predict that um but part of the action design was sort of starting over in that way. Like here's, you know, these solid people that I, that I'm excited to be in a band with, and we're just going to see, we're just going to see where we can build from here. And then um, it, that, that uh, it's funny you point out that now it's just me because that really is, that is literally what has happened like <laughs> over the years, you know, um, people's, lives change and they decide they don't want to be um a struggling artist anymore you know and uh they 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 change the way they feel about playing in a band and um so that's that's where i am now that's why i've gradually i mean i'm happy to to finally be here it feels really good to be like yeah i can play a show or no i don't want to play that show or i can do i can do whatever i want and i don't have to be you know be disappointed if i get offered a really awesome tour and somebody else says you know no i i can't get the time off work or whatever like it's i i can i can do it if i want to you started in the industry at a really interesting time because i worked for labels and my last you know i ended up doing an indie label after that but my i worked at a major label until the late 90s and then from like 2000 to 2008 everything just completely changed in the music industry so you were there at a time where it went from record stores on every street and labels everywhere to all of a sudden uh-oh we're out here on an island so if one person says <laughs> i don't want to go on tour you know i manage bands too so i know what that's like you know as one person's like i don't want to do that tour it just screws up the whole thing for everyone yeah so you're you're almost better off being alone. Yeah. I could relate to that. I could relate to that quote. That's why I pulled that one out. Um, you originally started the band as a two-piece survival guide in 2011, and uh, I really like that song Wildcat. I was going to ask you about that. Did that come out on a seven-inch single? The seven-inch was called Wildcat. So the song was would have been either. Um... Shrouded in Steel or Prohibition, I think. Oh, the song wasn't called Wildcat. It was no. the single. Okay, that's why I got a little confused. I did remember that. And I was looking for it and I couldn't find it. So that's why I was wondering. About that. Yeah. <laughs> so so your music started changing a lot. And it, was it difficult for you to go from punk to a poppy? You know, it was always poppy punk, but a more poppy punk to all of yeah. a sudden a little electronic synth sound was that hard for you to do uh it was uh, 
I would say what was hard about it was the way that it was like a blank slate, which is kind of awesome, but also kind of overwhelming at the same time. Um, when Jason, so Jason, who was the guitar player in survival guide, he was also the guitar player in the action design. So when that band kind of, you know, when it was kind of like, well, some people don't want to do stuff anymore. Jason and I were like, well, we, we actually were kind of wanting to expand more on the sound. You know, we, we kind of wanted to take it in this direction that was not so, um, it's interesting. Like I've been in a position multiple times in music where, where I want to write a song where maybe we don't need say drums or we don't need guitar or there's, you know, but when you're in a band, you don't do that. You don't say like, okay, you, you sit this one out, you know, like right, just go right. to the side of the stage. It's, it, it's like, there's a responsibility to, for everyone to have a part and it's required, you know? So, um, so, so partially I was kind of feeling like, well, we, we could do anything. Like if we, if we know how to, you know, if we figure out how to program drums and, um, we don't even have to use drums as the sounds we can, we can use whatever we want if we're doing electronic stuff, which, uh, was really exciting and also, um, and also kind of overwhelming, like I said, but, but at the time I had Jason with me. So we, we worked, we worked it out together. Uh, and that, you know, and then that led into me doing it alone, which was, uh, super intimidating. Uh, but now, but now I've done it myself too. So the touring all kind of came to like, not a screeching halt, but you didn't tour much at all from like 2011, no. 15, yeah, 16. We, we, uh, we, we tried, we tried to, to put some stuff together, but we didn't have a booking agent. And I still don't have a booking agent, so I'm I'm definitely on the lookout for a were booking you in, agent because were you still in California at that time? Yeah. yeah. So did you play local shows? Like, were you you were in San Francisco at that point? Um, I was north of San Francisco, and and he was in Sacramento, and uh, and yeah, we played local shows, and we did we did a little um we did a, a West Coast run, like we went up to Washington and back, and um. But then not long after that, we, you know, we were, we were sort of starting to build um, and do the branching out and, and starting to do that. And, and then he was not able to be in the band anymore because he started a family, a surprise family. <laughs> and you were um, the band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah, since then, I mean, I wish, I wish that I had been building my presence, you know, my live presence and, and touring and all that. I did keep playing shows, um, but it was hard for me to, to branch out by myself. Um, I just felt really unsure about it after, you know, it, basically I was kind of um, forced into being solo in a way because I, I didn't want to just like start auditioning guitar players. I didn't, it was such a, a loose project musically already that right. um, I I felt like the only thing I could do was just add his guitar to my tracks, you know, to my drum tracks and, uh, and play by myself. I did do, I did do some tours um, with another uh, Bay area band called lungs and limbs um, where I was able to just jump into their van and take all my stuff and, and tour with them, which was really cool. Did you open for them? Uh, we, we would trade, we would, we would trade it up and we, we, I, I feel like with, uh, with booking, um, I just kind of need a team of some yeah. sort. Like I need, I need a friend or someone to help me with it. Cause it's really hard for me. So we, we met up and we like plotted this, the, we did, two or three tours together I think I can't remember we did we did like the west and the south of the U.S. so together. you haven't been to the east coast in a while no I did a New York show um an acoustic New York show because um another thing with doing the electronics is getting my gear out there um, yeah so I did a show where I rented a like a stage piano and just did piano um, like a piano set, which is cool, but it's not quite the same, you know, it's not like a loud 
a big loud show. Your live and alone uh, thing that you did was fantastic. Uh, oh, I really like those songs. Your body of work, I, I, as I mentioned, is incredible. You just keep writing and writing. Um, you said a few years back that with Survival Guide, you can do whatever you want. And that was the whole point of it. You you still, you probably feel that way more than ever now, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been, it's been a, a like a very windy journey to where I am now, but yeah, I, I definitely feel like I can do, I can do whatever I want to. This is my thing. Is Double Helix a good place for you? Oh Yeah. For how sure. did you okay. how did you get on their radar? They're an Arizona label, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. They they contacted me and um and uh I think I had mentioned that I was working, you know, on social media or something. I had mentioned that I was working on um music and they contacted me and they they knew my brother. They knew one of my brothers, he had done their artwork for their label and that um kind of made me feel like, okay, I should check into them, like, you know, meet them and stuff. And, and they're just really great people who, um, who genuinely, their goal is just to get good music out to the world, which is like the most awesome, you know, that's what every label's uh, motivation should be, you yeah, know? So I, agree. Um, so I feel really fortunate to be working with some people who that's what they care about. Like they, they don't, that is that is their that is their core tenet is just like you make good music we will put it out so that people can hear it because we want the world to be a better place because people are listening to good music can you talk about request hotline uh the two of them i i didn't i yeah. didn't get to listen to a lot of the stuff that you did i did hear i did hear your all i do remember that you covered paula abdul once and i did uh -huh. <laughs> that was fantastic straight up and you did a really good job of it uh what what inspired you to do these dance party covers of afi songs and misfits <laughs> and distillers slater kinney i mean that's the only yeah, other person i know of that's doing that is juliana hatfield i don't know if you know juliana oh interesting yeah, yeah i didn't did know it. she was doing that he just released an all uh elo cover record oh interesting and wow. before that, she did the police, and before that, Olivia Newton John. So it's huh. like, oh, you know what? I did see that Olivia Newton John one that she did. I didn't know it was like a series. Interesting. Were you just a fan of these songs, and you just decided you wanted to cover them? So, um, for some of them, yes, but for most of them, it actually was part of a bigger project because it was requests from my Patreon. So I have That's a great. Patreon. Yeah. Where um where when I when I started my Patreon, the very first uh reward for people to, you know, I uh, this is for people to um have a, a a monthly membership, which also helped me um you know be able to stay making music. Uh so one of the rewards was that you can request a song and I will record it for you and send oh. it to you and um that's cool these are all, almost all of those that are released are our requests from from patrons and it's been super fun it's i think it's in some ways it's more fun because it is more challenging than choosing the covers myself it's like people are sending me songs like deep cuts you know and uh and then I have to figure out, it's like a, it's almost like a homework assignment. I have to figure out what am I going to do with this distiller song? You know, like, I don't want to just do it like the distillers do it. Cause that would be boring. <laughs> you didn't do pa Paula Abdul the way she did it. No. <laughs> uh, what is your, is your Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Emily Whitehurst, or is it survival guide or what is it? It's uh, it's after the slash it's survival guide with no vowels. It's just S R V V L G D. And, and that's my, my website too. And mine is patreon.com forward slash twisted Rico. Okay. Oh, nice. 
plug my own Patreon page for a minute. All right. <laughs> so now we've gotten to the moment that we built ourselves up to. I'm sorry about all of that. I just oh, that's okay. to this because I'm excited about this part, not because I like Death Trees, because I know Bob Hogue. And oh. uh, he's a great drummer. And you got him to play drums on some of your songs. I used to manage the Love Me Knots, and he and they did several records with Bob. So I got to know Bob, and he's the best guy. And yeah. If you're going to say, who do you go to in Phoenix? You go to Bob. Yeah. So did Double Helix hook you up with Bob or did you find Bob on yes. your own? No, they they already had worked with him before. And it was kind of like a to them, it was like a no brainer. Like, oh, well, we'll, you know, record with Bob because that that's going to be awesome. And uh, and it all like the timing of it all fell into place so perfectly. Um, and but yeah, I had never it's possible that I had met him before maybe, but we weren't, neither of us were like sure about that. <laughs> it's possible so, our he, bands cross paths at some point. Yeah. He plays in a few bands and plus he produced a bunch of punk bands too. You know, he's, he's really good. Yeah. How did it get to the point where he ended up playing some drums with you? Cause you didn't use live drums before that. Did you? Right. Um. Well, on the record, on the previous record on way to go, there were a couple of songs that had okay. live drums on them. Um, cause I, that song was also, or that album, uh, was also recorded by a friend of mine who was a drummer. So, um, when, uh, when sitting down with Bob doing, listening over the demos, um, pre-production was, yeah, the pre-production. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was just, uh, he suggested it. He suggested, oh yeah. And maybe like, you know, on this, on the chorus uh, here, the drum, some real drums, I'll record some real drums for it. And of course I was like, yeah, please. You know, like I didn't know, uh, I assumed he was a, a great drummer, but he was an amazing drummer Yeah, and, um, and everything came out so, so wonderfully. And I love all the drum parts that he, that he added, but yeah, I was, I was definitely open to like, that's kind of what I wanted out of a producer is someone to be like, okay, this is, this is good, but it, we need to build it here. Like this needs to be bigger and we'll add some, you know, we'll add more layers and, and make it, make it better. Did he <laughs> help with he the did. arrangements too on that? Um, some, um, he, I was actually really surprised by how much we kept the same like we actually kept a lot of demo um tracks in there since i had you know since i recorded my own demos and i had everything you know in 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 stems um it was like oh yeah let's just we'll, we'll bring this keyboard over we'll bring like a lot of the um a lot of the electronic drums that i had demoed we just cleaned them up and used them and then he played he played over them and we added and subtracted a few things um but uh, yeah, there were a couple songs where we changed up the arrangement um, and improved it, but not drastically. Like the main thing he did was just make the song so full and so professional. Yeah, it's one of the best things. He's done a lot. So it's saying a lot when I say that's one of the best things I've heard that he's done because it is a lot different than anything he usually does. Um, you come across, on, well, you, when I a long time ago when I saw you on stage or in videos, you come across as a really happy person, you know, <laughs> and even in interviews like right now. But this record is so dark. How did you convey your feelings when writing these songs into such darkness? <laughs> Way to word it. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I agree with you. I feel like I am generally a very happy person. And for some reason, it's always been even like, it's always been that my outlet for negativity or darkness is songwriting. So, I mean, I have, I do have some really positive songs over the years um, and, and happy songs, but for the most part, I'm writing about things that I, I, maybe I'm just not expressing in my, in my day to day because, because of the positivity. I don't know. I don't know. I, I agree with you though. I'm generally happy. 
I guess it but didn't come not, across. Nobody is, uh, nobody is always happy, you know? <laughs> I, I guess what I, it didn't really come across with the earlier bands as much as it does on this record, for me anyways, you know? Yeah, well, I, I for sure on this one, I, and I think that it's a product of being completely solo now. When I wrote this whole record, I, I start to finish was, didn't have any, you know, Jason was not in the band. So um, I do feel like I, just kind of let it go and just um, just wrote exactly what I was feeling. And there are things that I probably would not have written if I had any other band members. I would have been like, oh, not necessarily that it's too dark, but just too like too exposing, you know, like too, yeah. too much of my soul is coming out in these words for it, for it to represent this whole band. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, there are definitely some songs where, uh, I don't think I would have written them this way if, if it wasn't just me in Survival Guide. You've been able to really convey some of these songs through your videos, like Blood Perfume and Lady Neptune. Um, it's like an entire film in four minutes and 32 <laughs> yeah. seconds. I mean, how in the world did you get that together? I mean, that was not a, oh, I did this on my own with an iPhone. It wasn't no. one of those no. kind of videos at all. <laughs> No, no, not at all. I've been so, so fortunate to work with um, this video production company in Arizona called uh, Motivated Mind Group. And they have been creating these videos. They've been giving, you know, they've been coming up with the treatments and the ideas and presenting them to me. And, I, you know, I'm not a videographer. I don't make music videos. So I'm so excited to have to have people who, you know, listen to the song get inspiration from it and then present me with like, well, we're kind of thinking, you know, we do this sort of eighties inspired, uh, you know, uh, sort of Scarface type um, music video with, you know, drugs and like you're, <laughs> you become, you're coming up in the ranks as a drug dealer. And I'm just like, yes, let's do that. That sounds, I mean, yeah, you, that team knows what they can do and I don't you know I'm just like if you guys can do that I'm I'm super into that like let's let's do that you got a lot going on with Arizona people how did that happen yeah <laughs> um it's all because of double helix uh so everything you know working with Bob it was like um I stayed there and then they I I mean especially because I moved to San Antonio I think that's part of it is that I don't have tons of resources here I know, I know some people, but I'm not like, oh yeah, I have my usual video guy, you know, or whatever. I don't have, and I don't have like, oh, my usual studio or producer or any of that. So, so thankfully, like that is, that is one thing that I, um, that I needed from a label and, and thankfully Double Helix has the connections to, uh, to set that kind of thing up. I think it's really important these days for independent labels to also act as managers for some artists. And it sounds like that's what they're helping you with. Is there one, yeah. is there someone particular at the label that you've been doing a lot of work with that you've connected with on all this that's been um, helping you or is there an entire team a, over there? Yeah. Oh, it's a very small, it's a two person label. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a husband and wife team. So they, fantastic. they pull their resources and they're just involved in the, in the, uh, music scene there and and know a lot of people in the area so I'm totally fine with uh with you know working with people out there going out there to they're in Phoenix videos and, uh yeah so have you played any shows in Phoenix since you hooked up with um, them I've only played um acoustic shows so far but I have my record release show is this weekend and um, it's going to be at the Egyptian Motor Hotel. It's a fairly new venue. So I was going to say, I lived, I lived in Phoenix for 18 months, okay. <laughs> but I never heard of that place. But yeah, I like Phoenix, though. I really do like that town. I, I do. I haven't been there in a while, but it's a cool place. Um, so um, let's see, just a couple more things. Um, so now that you've been... It's hard to believe because you look so young and you so you still have very very fresh outlook. You've been doing this for over twenty years now. I mean, are you in a place right now where you feel like 
I'm in a good place and I want to keep this going? Or do you feel like when you make a record, like this is my, the record, like I think to be an artist, don't you have to just love what you're doing and not think about the bigger picture? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's the only way that I would still be going right now because my, you know, my trajectory has been this sort of like a weird, you know, touring internationally and doing tons of stuff. And and then it's really gotten a lot uh, simpler since then. But um, I just feel like I can't not do music. So, uh, so I'm, I'm continuing and I, I definitely had some, uh, some sticky moments in the road of, you know, trying to decide whether I was still going to do it because like you're saying, you know, I've been doing this for so long and I did have a moment where, um, like a period of time after being solo where I was like, do I want to do this? Because it is harder. It's a lot harder to be solo in a lot of ways. You know, it's like, yes, I have the convenience of doing whatever I want, but do I also want to do everything, (laughs) everything, make every decision and, you know, not have anyone to help me with anything. So, um, so I did spend some time uh, considering what it would be like if I was not doing music anymore. And, uh, and, I decided that I needed to, I needed to at least see what I could do with survival guide solo. And that is when I started my Patreon to, to kind of be like, do people care? You know, like, what can I, can I do anything here? And, and uh, that's where I sort of started building the foundation and the confidence and, and uh, the, the drive to, to write, to keep writing and, and do some more music for the people that, want to hear it and um so at this point yeah I feel like I I wasn't sure um I you know a a few years ago I I figured I'll write the album and I'll just maybe then I'll just like that'll be it for me you know um but after working with Bob and having double helix and like you know building this team it feels so good to have these people to work with that know what they're doing and are are supportive of me and just want to see me succeed. And, um, and I'm so grateful for it. And I feel like I should start writing the next record because I, I'm just so happy with the way that death dreams came out. And I, I never could have guessed that, um, that it would have, sounded so great you have a good publicist too by the way oh good (laughs) (laughs) um thank you i mean i think we (laughs) i think we covered it all and uh i i i'm glad that you're you're in this place and i like and i know you're you have a lot of fans out there so we want to hear more music from you well thank you i'm gonna try i need to now i really need to focus on getting out there and actually seeing people in person and playing playing a bunch of live shows wherever I can. That's the next, uh, that's the next phase. I can't wait to see you go on tour. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. All you gotta do is believe me. I love the way that you trust me. I love the way you put none above me. It's your turn. Prove that you love me.
Perfume. Some great titles on this album. <laughs> the album's Death Dreams Survival Guide. Can I just say that I love Emily Whitehurst? Her whole vibe and her music, it's just awesome. She's just really cool. It was great having her on the show. We, you know, we've been lucky with some amazing women because we're talking about women today. Uh, coming on the show, Tanya Donnelly, Louise Post, Juliana Hatfield, Kira Rossler, Kelly Ogden, Marielle Loveland. It's a long list of really, really great, talented women. Um, it's a pleasure for me to bring you all these great artists week after week. Uh, please consider supporting this podcast on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Twisted Rico. You can also su subscribe to us on Spotify, and you can reach me at any time. You write me anytime at twistedrico at gmail.com, or please write us on Instagram at blowing smoke with TR. You can also send, uh, you know, music files. A lot of bands have been doing that lately. have been getting a lot of good stuff. I got another new music show in the works right now because I'm getting so much great new music. Um, we also have a Facebook and a YouTube page. On the YouTube page, you can watch the Zoom interview that Emily and I just did. Also have that TikTok page at Twisted Rico. Um, it's been a lot of fun doing this. I'm going to keep doing it for a long time. Thanks very much for tuning in. That's going to do it for us this time around. So till the next time we say goodbye, this is Blowing Smoke with Twisted Rico. I'm your host, Steve Ricardo. Keep the rock and roll alive.